Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Jorna Taylor is exciting and providing energy. As always, Jorna Taylor, nonprofit <laughs> consultant here in Wisconsin. What is happening? I don't know. Good morning, I Battleground. Had too, I had too many River West Steins last night. Robert Craig is here. Robert is the Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Uh, good morning, everyone. So we are in the heat of election season and uh, the presidential race. Boy, uh, I don't know where to fully it's begin. Doozy. It's hard to unpack this in a very short podcast. So we'll just start with Robert's favorite thing, and that's polling, since he loves the latest polling numbers. Um, the Marquette poll came out this week, and we have some updated numbers. And I love it. The, 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 Trump, uh, the Trump video comes out Friday night. They're in the middle of the poll. They just proceed. Yeah, just proceed. And they release a poll that's partly before the video and partly after the video. Oh, so apparently yeah. the train must run it's along its tracks. Get the Marquette law poll. So, so the Marquette poll, which has sort of for better or worse, become kind of the gold standard uh, in polling here outside of... Sadly, <laughs> gold doesn't tarnish. Look, we say the tinsel standard. All right, folks, they're up against the St. Norbert poll. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and all right. Survey USA. So, all right. So back to the gold standard. <laughs> so, right. no, all right. We, we, we shouldn't poke fun at our good friends up there at St. Norbert's. I think that's also uh, public radio uh, joins with them on that. Uh, the, the, the bizarre poll that Marquette put out, as Robert said, that polled across the middle of the Trump meltdown um, has Clinton up seven points and has Russ Feingold up two points. So, Robert, you obviously mentioned that this thing was half done before and half done after. Jorna, you have some specifics on just how that actually <laughs> skewed the well, poll. It's fascinating. Um, I'm also looking here at the margin of error across those different days. and 25 it, points. Right. I mean, it ranges from <laughs> 3.9 to 7.8 in margin of error. I, this poll has me a little... Um, baffled, if, yeah. if you will. Let me just say that if Mr. Franklin submitted this to a peer-reviewed journal, <laughs> it would not be accepted. So this doesn't meet any social scientific standards whatsoever if you poll around a major event, okay, both but, sides of it. But I want to say, it like... Is, it is revealing something, so join us. It is, like good political hacks that we are. We're going to take the good out of this. We're and dive we're, a little deeper. We are going to, you know... We're going to dive, that all dive into time. those top lines, Jorna. These top lines have uh, Hillary Clinton... Um, definitely moving significantly ahead, as Matt mentioned, among likely voters. But it was a actually closer race where in the beginning of this, when the survey first started with this challenging margin of error, um, Trump was ahead by a point. And right. then it moves to Hillary in the end being ahead by seven. So... I mean, do I think that the pussy grab comment really, uh, let's just rip that bandaid yeah, off right, right now. Yeah, it's right there. Okay. Um, you can say that. I can. I absolutely can. <laughs> you just did. So I, I think this is a fascinating poll. I also, to talk about the Russ Feingold and Ron Johnson scenario, I mean, I think we were talking a little bit before this podcast, you know, there's a lot going on in the airwaves. I only watch Netflix and Hulu, so I'm not actually seeing it, uh, but those with with broadcast, regular broadcast TV are apparently being assaulted by ads by Ron Johnson and yes. his and associated independent expenditures. My rabbit ears are burning knew, off my TV. Who knew all the things Senator Johnson has done for African Americans in Milwaukee? 
I mean, they just, don't. Who, who do? <laughs> or more precisely, I believe 20 in the program that they're touting is an economic revival that Ron's been involved in. So, Jorna, you, you bring up a, a really good point. And so we have this meltdown. There's no other way to put it with Trump. It, we can expect that. Uh, no, I don't think it is a meltdown. I, Let's not excuse this as one instance I, of Trump spewing venom. Oh, wait, I'm sorry, sexual assault. Uh, here, here's, here's what I'll say. I, I'm not, I don't believe the comment or, or the video that came out is anything radically different than what we've heard. It is what happened afterwards, yeah. right? When he brought the women, the accusers, to the debate, it, it basically signaled he's not trying to win anymore. He is trying to destroy Paul Ryan, to destroy the Republican Party. And the Clintons. And the Clintons. He is going to destroy, right? Like, it, this is no longer really about winning anymore. I believe that's, it's, it's not that anything radically changed. It was all of a sudden the media and the public's perception that, oh my God, he said, he said a nasty it, word. And it, it like, obviously the sexual a, assault. He had a great tweet, if I can quickly find it, the other day. Um, so he had a great tweet on October 11th. And, you know, some, you can tell when it's his campaign tweeting from his account yeah. and when it's him. You very much can. Sad. Quote, <laughs> yeah. here, here are some of Donald Trump's good words. It is so nice that the shackles, the shackles have been taken off me and I can now fight for America the way I want to. Wrong. Yes. This was shortly after he had tweeted, our very weak and ineffective leader, Paul Ryan, had a bad conference call where his members went wild at his disloyalty. I mean, he, he's hammering on Paul Ryan in tweets. and He and said he's going to destroy Paul he's Ryan. He's going to destroy poor Paul Ryan. Yeah. yeah. Well, This would never have happened if Paul Nalen were on the ticket. Wrong. Now, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Jordan, he was. Um, <laughs> the point back to the Marquette poll in Wisconsin is, because I think a lot of funders not only just think Trump is not viable, they didn't want to invest in him. There is a ton of money that is being pumped into these congressional races, and Ron Johnson in particular. We've talked about it on the podcast before that he's had lots of different Republican-linked programs pulled, and there's still over $10 million already been dumped in. He's tier two in look at the amount of money that's coming into the state where he's way outspending Feingold, right, and all the associates. What's happening in tier one Senate targets, right? Like, there's so they're much money. To they're coming your house, no, and they're, they're actually performing ads at your yeah. front door. It's like Katie <laughs> bar the door. They are, they are putting all that money is going into this. Yeah. He regulated the election oh. system. This is the new normal. And you can pump up a Ron Johnson or anything else. Where he's right, within two you points, have on the ballot. right? Uh, that's shocking. <laughs> you know, I mean, and this is a guy who was probably down 10 before all of this real influx of money happened over the last three I do think it was months. an interesting choice uh, on part of Johnson not to separate himself from Trump. So that is a little interesting. After and, uh, he took so long to sort of come on board. Yeah, and it, it may the reflect endorse, that they're endorse. really afraid of a backlash from the uh, that. that the Trump, the Trump believers if they do that. So he's trying to just stay away from it, I guess. Uh, so that is stunning. Remember, 37% are still supporting this man. <gasps> Think about that. So, and there's more after the video, right? We now have three women that have come forward, two in the New York Times and one in the Palm Beach Post about actual, you know, harassment conducted by, by his orangeness. 
And so with names, and, and in New York Times case, they actually have verified, you know, that they told other people the story at the time, right? Talked to other witnesses, et cetera. So this is going on and on, but when you continue to have 37% being fine with that, what does that say about the state of the American public? Well, not everybody is fine with this. No, I agree. Thirty-seven percent seem to be. I right? mean, and if you and if you look at our congressional delegation, we have a bit of a split. Um, Trump was supposed to be in town yeah. with the esteemed Paul Ryan, leader of the Republican Party in the House, um, who Seth Meyers actually has. Uh, <laughs> this is a great quote. Seth Meyers has said. Paul Ryan is so spineless. At this point, they carry him to and from events in a bucket. (laughs) However. (laughs) That's good. I like that. So Paul Ryan says to Trump on Saturday after Trump says that he grabs women by the pussy. Wrong. Um that he can't come. And then Mike Pence, you know, stand-up guy Mike Pence, who loves women so much, uh, also is like, oh, maybe this is a little dicey and I'm not going to come to this either. Yeah, uh, he uses the appropriate coded language he, for he patriarchy, does. though. Right, yeah. you know, transvaginal ultrasounds <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but some of our other um, Republican elected officials here in Wisconsin, such as Representative Sean Duffy. Sean Duffy. <laughs> He's a peach. Quote, I never endorsed Donald Trump because of his stance on women or his family values. I endorsed him for his policies. <laughs> what? Like, e- I except the women and the family part. I don't care about that do you enough. Mean, do you mean the mass deportation of 16 million people part? I'm just wondering. So actually, Robert, I... <laughs> I think some of what's going on here is is reflective of uh, radioactive and talk radio. It is. Um, you, if you they are on the eastern this. part of the state, where Charlie Sykes and the infrastructure was all Ted Cruz, you're you're slightly different. Sean Duffy, where Trump won, won overwhelmingly, right? In, in some of those areas, mm-hmm. he's in a very different spot in some ways, right? Where he's kind of that's a much stronger Trump area than, say, suburban Milwaukee, potentially. Well, let's be clear. Uh, let's not give uh, right-wing talk radio too much credit here. They created the audience receptive to these racist-style appeals in the first place and and to be, and not to care what whatever about facts and to blame the wrong people for, for their troubles. In fact, decide with the people causing their troubles uh, uh, in the process. And so, yeah, they've created softer Trump support, but they've created a, the whole political climate that has made Trump possible. Sure, sure. And I, they've done it as a business model to drive rating points. It's sort of like it's like selling adulterated drugs, to, in, in my opinion, but the impact is on our democracy, not on, not on people's health. But it's, it's interesting to see the way it played out this election cycle, right? Remember the map of sort of where the audience of uh, talk radio went in the primary vote for Cruz versus Trump was we'll was pretty stunning. And that. some of that is also geographic in terms of the kind of Republican voters uh, or independent we'll voters that are in those we'll areas. We'll see. The partisan homing beacon is so strong in American politics and, 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 and that sure. that I'll believe it when I see it that the that the owl counties or the wow counties actually underperform when it comes to election day. I'm just saying we're just talking so you're, about well, I'm. I'm just. I. I think it. It can make a difference in a primary. I'm not suggesting that, like, in a when they're all behind Trump, you're not going to see significant Trump levels of support. 
I'm saying it shows we'll that there a was a very... We'll see if, if partisan performance is worse for Trump in suburban You're, Milwaukee counties than it is in, in that's Maryland That's not what I said. I was talking about the primary, Robert, okay. and where okay. they're starting from and, and some of the arguments that we made on previous podcasts about the role of talk radio and including its map in the primary in Ted Cruz versus Trump. We've talked about it before. I'm not saying that in the general that you won't see some of that breaking down because... Talk radio no longer just dominates the discussion. It's a national presidential, right? So, so of course, a lot of that's going to take hold. But I do think that has an impact on a guy like Sean Duffy, that you, that Trump support, and some of that is geographic too, right? We're talking about a different kind of voter who, yeah. who's living in western Wisconsin than some of the upper suburban kind of areas that collar Milwaukee. And it, so that has also mm-hmm. has an impact in how they might have a distaste for Trump, uh, also not care for his uh, trade policies that he's espousing. So with that, we want to move to back into our state very specifically and follow up on the voter ID lawsuit. Um, we have been following that here on the podcast, and uh, they were back in court this week, Robert. Uh, why don't you give us an update on what was happening? And uh, Judge Peterson had some uh, not-so-fine comments, it sounds like, for the state in its uh, implementation through the DMVs. Oh, well, Judge Peterson is appalled and thinks that the, uh, the, the Walker administration and the attorney general violated his orders, that there be a clear process where anyone who doesn't have the proper documents, like the birth certificate, can get a temporary credential that allows them to vote. So no one's disenfranchised, and that is not happening, we know. And uh, so there's a combination here of arrogance and disregard for basic rights. So there was an all-day hearing on Wednesday, Thursday, right now, as we record this podcast, Judge Peterson's having another hearing to discuss possible remedies. It's very clear, if you look at what he said Wednesday, that he doesn't feel he has the authority to overturn or enjoin the whole law. So the question is, what can he order? Can he order uh, that the DMV immediately give voting credentials? I mean, just immediately, on the spot, to anyone who comes and applies for them, and they can, you know, they and they can work out the process later for for what they need. Uh, can they fund a large public education campaign, for example, uh, to alert everyone as to what they need? Because that hasn't really been done. Uh, those are the kind of things I predict. We don't know right now. That'll be under discussion. Uh, we should know sometime between midday on Thursday and the end of the day, depending on whether Judge Peterson chooses to simply come out of the chambers and announce his decision or whether he uh, commits it to writing and releases it later in the day. So that is what's going on right now. But it's clearly, it's pretty clear, hopefully I'm wrong, but it's pretty clear that photo ID will still be on the books. It's a question of what other remedies the judge might order today. I mean, I guess my my question still comes down to this. Folks who are going to the DMV to get photo IDs to vote are clearly not trying to defraud the process of voting. So, again, this is still this whole solution in search of a problem here, and it's disappointing. And I do think that the ground was laid, however, with this case and this week in this decision for some changes post-election. You know, part of me, as much as I'm against photo ID, we've gone back and forth so many times in less than 30 days from the election to once again change it again. You know, this at some point this just becomes all so confusing. Well, right. So it needs to be done in a way that doesn't create any further confusion but creates a, a, a way for people right. to vote. And to, An so, affidavit signed under law, perhaps. So I, I did, we'll see what happens, I did propose to our lawyers, we're one of the plaintiffs in this case, uh, and we'll see what happens with the judge that 
they do a mailing, not just TV and radio are fine, but we, this, is all, this is a group of people that are a needle in the haystack to some degree, even though there are hundreds of thousands of them, uh, to send a letter basically to every person in the state database who does not also come up as having a state ID a driver's license or a state ID with all the information because you can put more information in that than you would put in a TV or radio ad. So that is one of the things our attorneys will be proposing among a lot of other public education proposals uh, to, that they're proposing right now to Judge Peterson. Yeah, this is uh, this whole thing is disheartening. I It's Judge Peterson, clearly. His hands are greatly tied. He doesn't feel like he can strike this down and they could spend a million, two million dollars on education now. It is so confusing. It's, um, it's, it's deeply tragic that we're we're at this state, and I think Peterson is definitely reflecting that. I expect that he might actually be very vocal after this case when it's done and write about what he sees and what he maybe thinks the remedy should be going forward. Because it's clear that this guy is like appalled as as you mentioned robert and, so and also you know the democratic members of the state election commission uh ann jacobs and mark thompson did put together a series of proposals right. uh they're very constructive that could help the state election commission educate people and try to remedy what the walker administration has done here to people's voting rights yeah and i want to i'm glad you mentioned that robert i want to underscore you know really, really good selections by the Democrats to put those two there as lawyers and legal minds to help make smart, strategic decisions on the fly, right? Like we need, and, and kudos to them for really being good advocates uh, in spite of not really being in a majority position. Well, and clearly Republicans thought that by changing up the Elections Commission and, and doing this, that they would just silence the Democrats' voice completely. And Ann Jacobs and Mark Thompson are not to be silenced if you know them at all. So, uh, you know, they're going to be out there as attack dogs trying to make sure that there is justice in in any of these processes that and, go through the elections commission. And, and by the way, note to anyone in the minority in the legislature that like uh, your power isn't just in bills you sign and take to, to get a get a hearing in committee, right? Is how can you we better leverage our ability to have public relation campaigns that damage them. So so big kudos to those two for using what uh, what power they do have. Um, so with that, um, Robert, we have got to, you got to help our listeners understand better what happened this week on the Affordable Care Act exchanges in terms of Wisconsin announced our our Office of Insurance Commissioner's Office, I butchered that, but uh, announced this week that premiums on the exchanges in Wisconsin are going to go up 17%, I believe. 15.9%. So on average. A lot, right? Could you, could you help explain a couple of things for me? Uh, one is why we think this is happening in terms of why, why the rates are going up. But um, two, do, how does that actually impact people, particularly people who have subsidies, and how many people on the exchange actually will, will take the brunt of all of this? I guess those are the two questions I have. Well, people who get the tax subsidies will be held harmless because they'll simply get more tax subsidies. They're pegged to income. And, so and reminder, listeners, how many? What kind of percentage of the people on the exchange fit into that? Well, close to ninety percent in uh, Wisconsin. Though I don't want to disregard the ten percent uh, who are also people who probably need help and Absolutely. are have trouble affording this. So, 
you know, there was a huge problem with health care costs before the Affordable Care Act passed. In fact, we had double digits every year, and the Republicans and conservatives have chosen to ignore that and said it's, it's all Obamacare, right? Uh, in many ways, this is because Obamacare did not go far enough, and we needed another stages of reform. We haven't had those because we've had this trench warfare since 2010 about their desire to repeal it and go back to the bad old days where the insurance companies could deny you coverage. There were lifetime and annual limits. You know, young people got thrown off their parents' policies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because they got nothing else other than that. And like completely, like you hear Trump, bogus solutions like buying insurance policies across state lines. What needs to be, which is ridiculous, it means bad policies that don't cover anything. They're cheaper. Of course they're cheaper. You know, we can, you can buy cars across state and international lines. They don't drive, right? Why we make that as a solution? But they'll be cheaper. So here's the thing. The under the, What's driving this, and this is if you actually read beyond uh, Walker administration's insurance commissioner's uh, press release, which is just designed to damage the Affordable Care Act. Last year, they refused to release the rates at all, the only one of 50 states that did, because they didn't want the fact that rates didn't go up very much to be out there. Okay, So this is a completely partisan and sleazy agency. But they didn't say what the causes were, of course. And then they went all sorts of extraneous things, like they're all worried about auto enrollment, where people, if, they, if, they, if their insurance... Uh, company leaves the exchange, the marketplace, and they don't sign up for anyone else, then they get enrolled by somewhere else, which protects their family. They get health care. Right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, so it's all about that. If you read the rate filings themselves, it's what we know. The underlying cause is, is that medical prices, the prices for medical services, could go up 8 to 10% a year, and prescription drug prices even more, 12, 15% a year. Okay? That's what's driving most of it. And what do they have on that? They got nothing. The Democrats in this legislature introduced a number of bills that would have tried to take those on and begun to take those on, especially prescription drug prices. Uh, not even No hearings, let alone votes. They got nothing. In Congress, if Hillary Clinton is elected, she has a whole series of next stage reforms we would do to start to get at cost. They will oppose all of them. Paul Ryan will try to block each and every one of them. So the question is, if you care about it's amazing to listen to Charlie Sykes and Mark Belling and others, Vicki McKenna, uh, Paul Ryan, claim to care about health care costs, because they certainly didn't care about it when they were opposing passage of the Affordable Care Act or for the whole Bush administration era, right? So we need to understand that this is about sabotage. Now, one other thing about the sabotage, I just mentioned the political sabotage right now. The health insurance industry is engaged in sabotage as well. So the reason the prices on the marketplace are higher than they should be is because there is too high a proportion of people who have illnesses and health conditions. In other words, all the people who were denied coverage in the old discriminatory system. And when you let the big for-profit insurance companies who are pulling out find healthy people other places in the system to insure, you know what it is? It's the new pre-existing addition discrimination. And if you had more, if you, so what you need is a bigger market where the insurance companies no longer have the ability just to look for the healthy people to insure and figure out how not to have to insure anyone who actually might need to use their insurance, because that's what they're trying to do. And we know that Aetna is pulling out in retaliation for the antitrust suit glad by I the Department you. of Justice, just for example. Yes, Aetna, glad we met you. Remember, they threatened to do so go? if the Department of Justice tried to block their mega merger with Cigna, and they did. And so then Aetna followed through on its threat. So this is about rating in the sabotage of right-wing politicians and conservatives and the, the, the continued sabotage of the, of the pharmaceutical corporations, the insurance companies, and the fact that hospitals and a lot of doctors are off scot-free and are even being looked at when they're raising their rates a large amount every single year. And the research is overwhelming. The main cause 
of health of, of, of health insurance uh, high costs in, in the United States is rising unit costs for medi medicines, for services and medications. Well, I have a really um, enlightening and a piece of good news for you, Robert. When President Cheeto is in office on his first day, we're going to get rid of that nasty Obamacare, and all these problems going to be fixed. You're going to have some of the really quick. You're going to have some of the cheapest health care you could ever want. The cheapest, the cheapest. best of the cheapest. It'll be huge. We're call, I need to call it Yugo Healthcare. No, right? no, it's like, no. It's called Winning Healthcare. Winning. <laughs> winning. Wrong. It's, it's, it's good. Yeah, look, it'll be better, better than anything. The best. By the way, I know the Affordable Care Act. It is one of the worst named. It it really did very little. Actually, we've talked about this in the past about costs and other than the folks who were on Medicaid, correct, or or or, or get the subsidies. It, it, it did, Even that, it did very little sort of about costs in the system. Right, it did a ton for providing access to coverage to close to 20 million people, the expansion of Medicaid, as you said, those people who got access, many of them, 90% about, are getting subsidies that actually make this affordable for them. So yes, but it didn't structurally go after the the the, the healthcare costs. And we've talked about how that was sort of a deal. It, it with, did a few things. It, refu it left pharma alone because they're yeah. too strong. So we need to get Which back to pharma, chunk. right? Medicare Part D also left pharma alone because they're so powerful, right? So that needs to end. You're absolutely right. They did some things that, that were effective, but it isn't fundamental. Yeah. Uh, and that's the, and that is the next stage of reform, and we've been able to do it. And what they also did is part of the, some of the things that aren't working as well are compromises they made with themselves. That's right. That Max Bach has made with himself to try to attract Republican votes and Heritage Foundation ideas and the like that do not work. And they still didn't get Chuck Grassley or Susan Collins or or any of these people they were trying to woo. Yeah, and and let's let's get real. You don't you don't pass something as large as. An overhaul of your healthcare system, and then do nothing to tweak it for six years, right? I mean, the notion that we wouldn't, after six years, start to see these problems exacerbate and grow—nothing, as you and, said, has and, been done. And let me simplify this uh, for for you who are talking to your right-wing uncles or aunts or who have you, right? There is no way to guarantee that everyone has access to affordable health care no matter what, except by using our democratic government to, to, to write the rules and to create a system that actually does that. That is the only way. So that's why the far right can never do it, and that's why they seem to be willing to walk the plank and try to kick 20 million people off their health care, which, believe you me, once the 20 million actually understand what's happening to them, will not be good for the conservatives in this country. So... We are going to switch gears here, and we're very fortunate to have a guest with us. Uh, October, for folks who don't know, is Cooperative Month. And so we have asked our Cooperative Organizing Director, Anna Dvorak, to come in. Anna's looking at me. She's like, I don't know that I'm a director, but I just called her the Cooperative Organizing Director. She is our lead organizer for the Organizing Cooperative here in Milwaukee. Anna, welcome. Thanks, Matt. Happy to be here. <laughs> well, and you didn't know you got a promotion right here on the podcast. Thanks uh, a lot. Does yeah. that come with a bonus, a raise? Uh, of course, Giant always does. When you raise it. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> so we just have to add more co-op members. <laughs> well, actually, Anna, that's a wonderful segue to what we're, why we have you on this week is to talk about the number of organizing drives that are going on to expand the cooperative, not only here in Milwaukee, but also throughout the state. So first of all, why don't you just remind our listeners a little bit about uh, the organizing cooperatives that are uh, going here at Citizen Action? 
Yeah, so we started these organizing cooperatives back last summer. The first one was launched in the greater Milwaukee area in June of 2015. And basically, we said that if we could find 250 people in the greater Milwaukee area who believed in this idea, who would pay small monthly dues payments, then they would have a say in our organization. And they would be able to help us choose the issues that we work on, um, help us develop campaigns, and really play a critical role in making our state a better place to live and work. So we set a 60-day deadline last summer. We were like, if we can find 250 people who believe in this idea, we'll go forward with it. We were successful in that. And so since then, we have launched a number of successful campaigns, for example, getting almost 100 new poll workers in the city of Milwaukee, which is a critical thing. We've, we, were, we played a role in increasing enrollment in the Affordable Care Act during the last open enrollment session last winter. And um, we're currently working on an economic justice issue, uh, basically calling out WEDIC, Walker's Failed Jobs Agency and holding it accountable for giving corporations millions of our tax dollars and then outsourcing jobs. So these are all campaigns that our members have chosen to work on and um, see as a critical part of their community and critical in, in changing it for the better. And one of our more exciting campaigns is our radioactive campaign, which I know we've talked about on the podcast before, but yeah, so I'm happy to go into that. But Well, yeah, no, actually, um, this has been wildly successful. And obviously, um, I think the key is, as you mentioned, it really requires active members, members to be involved, not only in selecting, but then helping implement these campaigns, which I think is uh, really the secret sauce of this. Tell us more then about this growth, right? This month, or actually the next 60 days, we're in, a, in the middle of a number of drives now to expand the cooperative. You mentioned Radioactive, that's one. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about where the cooperatives are expanding? Yeah, so actually, I, I don't want to leave Western Wisconsin out of here because we know that at Citizen Action and all of our members know that we can't just organize in the progressive stronghold areas in the state, meaning like Milwaukee and Madison. Uh, we need to organize everywhere and in every community. And so uh, last year, Jeff Smith launched the cooperative. Actually, it was early this year. Uh, Jeff Smith launched the cooperative in uh, the Eau Claire area, kind of western, northwestern Wisconsin. And so we do have another cooperative there, but we're currently working to expand in two more areas. One is the Green Bay area, the, the Fox Valley as well, so covering the northeastern area of Wisconsin. And then we also want to double our membership in the greater Milwaukee area so that we can now have two organizers and uh, essentially doubling our membership from 200, 250 members to 500 members to increase our capacity and take on the right-wing talk radio monopoly. Well, that, that's ambitious, uh, and it, it's off to a good start, if I'm correct, right? We're at least uh, radioactive in particular. Maybe we can start talking about that. Uh, how, how is that going? Yeah, so like I said before, we set a 60-day deadline for ourselves, and um, our members and our organizers have been working very hard since September 13th. And so far, we have recruited 151 new people to pledge to our cooperative. That's awesome. So we only have 99 more people to go. And I see you guys uh, forced Charlie Sykes to retire this uh, this past week. Uh, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Good job. Yeah, yeah. Good job. Well, supposedly, he's reformed, quote unquote, and uh, changed his ways. 
Uh, yeah, I don't eat sweets I don't know if we can either. take credit. <laughs> credit <laughs> you, for that. But. Well, I think you should take credit, and then you should take credit for the new um, Sykes and Craig roadshow that will tour around Wisconsin. Oh, whoa. <laughs> Debating. Jorna, you may need to sit in the middle of that. <laughs> yeah, no. So, okay. So the, we'll talk, maybe dive a little deeper into Charlie Sykes and Radioactive before you go. Tell us also a little bit more about, um, I know Lou Sosa has been organizing a Latino component with Latino business owners and other activists. Uh, tell me more about that. Absolutely. So I mean, Luz would be a, a much better person to talk about how that drive is going. But I did attend her kind of halfway there celebration this past Tuesday. And she is working within the Latino community, um, within her own community in Milwaukee to um, connect business owners, connect people who want to make their community better with each other and create their own base of members so that they can work on the issues that uniquely impact the Latino community and that impact all of us. So, you know, they can work on their, you know, their issues, but then there are issues that we know that impact all of our communities, like income inequality, for example. And so um, we really want to expand our, our base of of progressives and really start working together across racial and ethnic lines. Anna, why do you think Charlie Sykes is so mad at us? <laughs> That's a good question. That's a really good question. I've been wondering that. I think because we're questioning his motives for leaving uh, radio at the end of the year and retiring. Um, supposedly he is leaving because he's seen the error of his ways and feels like he's created a monster um, <laughs> in terms of uh, mo shifting public opinion to the far right. By the way, no eagle there that he created a monster. Can I just point out a monster <laughs> in that 37% of the Wisconsin public of our fellow citizens are still supporting the orange menace? I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty scary. And what else could they support? But, you know, Charlie, he supposedly turned over a new leaf, right? He's questioning. He's questioning uh, whether or not he's in a role in creating this bigotry and questioning whether the fact that right-wingers now, the right-wing public, won't accept the actual facts is something they did, maybe, possibly. Uh, but what's interesting is now that he's a new, you know, statesmanly Charlie Sykes, opining on the dangers of the Orange Menace, basically, on, on MSNBC and other places, um, of course he's been very high-minded in his response to us, right? I mean, it's all, it's all, been, it's all been based on facts and reasons and arguments. Not so much. Well... I think the most amazing part of, of watching that is that it's been such a um, long process of watching Mr. Sykes change his stripes from, you know, blatant whistles like train whistles to dog whistles. Yeah, that's what he's mad about Trump, as I've been saying, that he refuses to use the prescribed dog whistle. And he says it all, you know, for all to hear. But Anna, could you share with us some of the uh, things he has said about us? Well, sure. Uh, well, he describes Robert's mind as a burning dumpster fire, well, right? True. I've often okay. found right. that. Podcast listeners will agree. He's, but he's reformed, though. He's <laughs> so is he's Robert. A, he's a principled, principled conservative, not not like Donald Trump, right? Um, he also, interestingly enough, appeared on stage with Charles Murray, the author of the Bell Curve, which is a kind of like a scientific, racist, and sexist book. Well, that's what uh, he yesterday, is appropriate. Yesterday in Milwaukee, he appeared on stage with this person. So the supposedly, you know, reformed Charlie Sykes is, you know, he's not he's not bigoted like Trump, but 
Yeah. He whoa, whoa! But that is an educational piece of literature. <laughs> it is entirely okay to say African Americans and women are inferior to whoa. white white men, which is Duh. what <laughs> what Dr. Murray's scholarship is about. So that's all very impressive, right? So perhaps our friends at MSNBC might want to take notice of that. Uh, but then, what else he said? Basically, that that we're at the bottom, or I'm at the bottom of a left wing fever swamp. Now, actually, I think the fever swamp is on the right, so we could just apply that to right-wing radio, which Radioactive does. But then a bizarrely mangled metaphor, and we'll have a link links to all this, where I'm either the Jim Carrey character in Dumb and Dumber, or um, I am the Humphrey Bogart character from the Kane Mutiny, Captain Quig, who, of course, as listeners probably do not remember, unless you're a baby boomer, uh, has paranoid rantings uh he it, it causes a mutiny on a ship and is court-martialed so anyway it's very very bizarre it's kind of hack literature but anyway uh that's the new high-minded statesmanly <sighs> charlie Sutton. court-martialing Jorna. I, I i i now have this image of maybe robert and his brother theodore in the scene in dumb and dumber where they're riding the uh, motorcycle and it's frozen <laughs> Well, that would be the most efficient way to get there. I hear it gets good gas <laughs> mileage, so that, that might actually happen. Oh. Enterprise rents those out, I believe, to Citizen Action. <laughs> Just a taste of the still rape your wit of Charlie Sykes. And the other right-wing talk shows are equally humorous in their, their stylings. So, so, Anna, obviously there's a lot of amazing work that's being done by the cooperative. I actually... Before you give people information about how they can get involved, one other thing that I think our, our listeners should be aware that the cooperative is leading is a really smart strategic effort to go into uh, two targeted state, actually we're going to end up in three, targeted state assembly seats uh, talking about the economy and some of the work that the cooperative has been doing long term around the economy. And you mentioned WEDEC and trying to see if we can help uh, a couple of assembly candidates, including Jack Redman, who is a co-op member in Oak Creek and South Milwaukee. It's been a great project getting co-op members out talking about it. Uh, and I just want to get your thoughts on it. And we're also doing it up in Eau Claire for Howard White. Very true. So, yeah, I think what we're doing to help, you know, the only assembly candidate in in a competitive race in our area is quite unique in that it's it's called a deep canvas, which means that instead of having like a transactional conversation, something where you're like, you know, immediately polarizing someone at the door, um, you're actually having a conversation with voters. Um, and these are independent voters that we're talking to, um, undecided voters. Maybe they've heard about the presidential race or, or the Senate race, uh, Feingold and, and Johnson, but they haven't heard of the assembly race at all. The, many of them that we've talked to don't even know who their assembly candidates are. And so we have a conversation with them, particularly related to the economy and how they're feeling about it. And then we link those issues and what, what their, uh, each individual person at the door is concerned about to the candidates that are running. So we're really, um, we're really trying to have, um, you know, individual conversations tailored to the person we're talking to at the door and really trying to relate the candidates to their life and how those candidates will make their lives better. And so Jack Redmond is a, a perfect example of, you know, a strong progressive candidate. And you, I mean, bottom line is in order to win back, um, in order to reverse the damage done and really create a strong um, economy in our state, we need to 
we need to flip the the Senate and the Assembly. We need to have democratic control again. So I think this is very strategic, and it's also more meaningful door knocking, in my opinion, than just kind of the knock, knock, knock. Can we count on your support for Russ Feingold? Like, right, you right. know. And I want to add that uh, Eau Claire is also doing this uh, in support of Howard White. And so really want to strongly encourage our listeners, even if you're not a cooperative member, to get involved in these canvases. Uh, we can hook you up to go out anytime, any day, uh, but we are organizing um, larger canvases on Saturday, 9 a.m. Uh, for more information, feel free to contact me. I will uh, get you details about both the Eau Claire and Milwaukee opportunities. But Saturday morning in uh, South Milwaukee, uh, we're, we're meeting at Guy Costello's house, which is 1320 Manitowoc. Um, and if you want more information about Eau Claire, I can get that for you too. So Wausau down the line. Right? Yep. Eventually, we'd like to expand this into Wausau. And of course, if we grow the cooperative in the Fox Valley and other parts of the state, in future elections, we can do similar kind of exciting work with members, which I think is the amazing uh, power of this cooperative long term is we can uh, do stuff in between elections, but also make a difference in, in critical elections. So what if people want to get involved? What if they want to join the co-op? Yeah, so we're currently looking for people to pledge to join the cooperative. So if you uh, live in the western Wisconsin area, we have, a, we have a link for that. If you live in the northeastern Wisconsin area, like the Fox Valley or the Green Bay area, we have a link for that. We have a link for our radioactive campaign if you're particularly interested in that. Or um, we also have one um, related to socioeconomic justice and uh, organizing in the Latino community. So all of that is available on our website, the Citizen Action of Wisconsin website. And there are buttons at the very top of the page that specifically link to uh, those organizing cooperative drives. So I strongly encourage you to get involved. This is really a growing effort, and we're not just interested in, in you know money or anything like that. We really want to create a Wisconsin where you have a say in, uh, and the people have a say in, in what happens in their state. And so we strongly encourage you to, to check it out. We'll have links uh, on our webpage for the podcast also to all of the cooperatives. Anna, uh, you're doing great work. We're really glad you took the time to come in this morning and uh, talk to our listeners about the cooperative. Thanks so much for having me. So unfortunately, Anna had to run before we were able to uh, get her furlough. Robert, what are you doing this weekend before you uh, jump on your, your, your next media call? Well, I'm going to be deep canvassing, of course. Woohoo! By the way, we're having pizza after we deep canvass at Barbier's in South Milwaukee, so... Uh, that's why you should come to our canvas because it's not only the coolest, we have the best pizza. Mm -hmm. So, Robert, after you do Barbieres, what else is going on? Are I you, don't you... know. I forgot last week that I was going to the opera last week, so maybe I Ooh. can retro in yeah. by uh, Sunday uh, with my father and both my brothers. But Delano is volunteering Friday, so that's the official beginning of the weekend. Always, always. So, Jorna, what are you doing on Saturday night? On Saturday night? yeah is my second favorite Milwaukee bicycling event. I agree with that. That I will get to uh, attend with some people named Brusky. Yep, Bonnie and I will be there. Bike Toberfest. Good times. In Milwaukee, which is basically a bike pub crawl of the south side of Milwaukee. Yeah, great times. <laughs> it's about a 15 to 20 mile bike ride yeah. when you do the whole loop. Uh, usually start uh, somewhere on the north side of Bayview and end up all the way down usually in Cudahy. 
Bike oh, yeah. all the way back there, uh, back up to Milwaukee. We ended up in a parking lot of a <laughs> uh, shopping center last year for a while. Yeah, yes. We, we've ended up in some very odd places <laughs> over the last decade doing the uh, Biketoberfest pub crawl. So I am doing that with my wife, looking very much forward to it. And with that, we bring this podcast to a close. Again, want to encourage folks, get out and do some canvassing this week, even if it is with us. And we'll see you next week here at the Battleground with Scott.